Hey, podcast listeners, I want you to be among the first to know about Somley, a new way to discover, shop, and interact with Texas wineries. Somley is an online marketplace where wine enthusiasts can explore wineries, read reviews, and buy locally. Wineries will love the site because it will help them find new customers and grow their most profitable channel direct to consumer, similar to how Etsy has helped artisans sell their goods. Founded by an Austin, Texas wine-loving husband and wife team, Somley is coming soon. Visit Somley.com to subscribe for exciting updates. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 33. On this episode, you'll get to know Patrick Whitehead from Blue Ostrich Winery in St. Joe. Patrick is the first person I've interviewed from North Texas. He shares his thoughts about growing grapes and making wine in North Texas, his desire for a new AVA in North Texas, and so much more. But first, I'll give a rundown of Texas wineries and wine people that are showing up in the news. Whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Wine Business Monthly has named the Wine Business Leaders for 2021. One of the people recognized is Leah Durton, Chief Marketing Officer from William Chris Wine Company. Wine Business Monthly says that when Leah Durton joined William Chris Vineyard, she had no idea that a pandemic would shake the wine business right to its core in just six months. So she channeled her experience working in consumer packaged goods and led the team in an aggressive marketing strategy that centered on virtual tastings. The owners say Durton's work was essential to company's success and that she continues to adapt the program to engage their customer base with small but important touches. Another person you may know who's on the list is James Tidwell, Master Sommelier, Director of Texom, the Dallas-based Sommelier Conference and International Wine Competition. He's done so much to advance Texas wine among Psalms. Wine Business Monthly says since its inception in 2005, James Tidwell has been at the forefront of educating the wine industry with high-caliber speakers and providing mentorship and volunteer opportunities for those in the early days of their career. Texom brings in professionals from around the world and all aspects of the wine business and trade to move the industry forward. Congratulations to James, Leah, and all the other winners. I know many of you are watching the YouTube series called Texas Winemakers. If you're all caught up on that series and you're yearning for more Texas wine entertainment, be sure to check out the first episode of Uncorked. It's also on YouTube. On this show, two longtime friends, one a former journalist and the other a cynical actor, take a road trip and discover the treasures of the Texas wine country. Award-winning Wall Street Journal videographer, journalist, and filmmaker Jeff Bush hits the road with his hilarious best friend of over 30 years— actor David Stroh. Why? To uncork as much wine as possible across the Texas Hill Country. They describe it as sideways meets comedians in cars getting coffee. Each episode involves Jeff and David going out in a vintage pickup to interview, investigate, and sample from a specific Texas winery. Along the way, 
They also meet a lot of fun people and sample some unusual cuisine. In episode one, they visit Driftwood Estates Winery, and they kick off their show with a lot of laughs. Check it out on YouTube. Wild World Festival is a wine festival that celebrates natural wine, beer, cider, food, and also provides education around all things fermentation. In May 2019, the festival was held in Austin at Jester King Brewery. And the most recent festival was held in Brooklyn in November, and there were two Texas wineries on the scene. Ricky Taylor and Katie Jablonski from Altamarfa in the Texas Davis Mountains attended, and so did Ross McLaughlin and Cooper Anderson, the founders of the Austin Winery in Austin. I've spoken before about my visit to the Austin Winery, but you might not be as familiar with Altamarfa. In a recent Instagram post, the festival introduced Katie and Ricky and shared a bit of their story. The majority of their production is spontaneously fermented wines from grapes sourced from organic equivalent and no-spray vineyards in Central and West Texas and also New Mexico, and soon from Altamarfa's own vineyard in West Texas that includes around 20 varieties of young grapevines, which Ricky farms by hand. Ricky made previous vintages at Robert Clay Vineyards in the Texas Hill Country, but in 2021, Altamarfa will be making its first vintage in a new winery in Marfa. They're farming at 5,400 feet elevation in the Texas Davis Mountains AVA, by the way. I first met Ricky years ago at the Texom Sommelier Conference, and it's been so much fun to watch the vineyard and the wine brand come together. Be sure to follow their blog at altamarfa.com. Wild World Festival is coming back to Texas in 2022, so if you're curious about or committed to natural wine, be sure to follow at Wild World Festivals on Instagram. And if you visit the Austin Winery or Altamarfa, be sure to ask about what they saw and tasted in Brooklyn. Decanter is a large wine magazine and media brand that has a distinctly international sensibility. Texas usually doesn't get a lot of space on the page, virtual or otherwise, but decanter.com just published an article about Texas wine. It's called Texas Wine, Travel Guide, plus 10 top bottles worth seeking out. The article's behind the paywall, but author Katie Kelly Bell shares some basic information about touring Texas wine country, and then there are also 10 bottles recommended. Many of the bottles you've heard about on this podcast before. The white wines include William Chris Vineyard's Roussan from La Pradera. It received the highest score of the 10, which was 92. Dukeman Family Winery Trebbiano from Bingham Family, Slate Mill Wineries Viognier from the Reddy Vineyards. Red wines include C.L. Buteau's Cease and Desist, which is a Tempranillo Morved blend, Wedding Oaks Alianico from High Top Vineyards, Pedernales Cellars Texas High Plains Tempranillo, Fall Creek Vineyards GSM from Salt Lake Vineyards, Becker Vineyards Texas Hill Country Reserve Petite Syrah, Texas Heritage Vineyards, Paca Vineyards, Susau, and finally, Bingham Family Vineyards Dugout from the Texas High Plains, which is a Cab Franc, Cab Sauve, and Petit Verdot blend. Although it's great that there are international eyeballs on these wines for educational purposes, it's going to be really hard for people to find these wines outside of the United States. I was just trying to get some Texas wine to someone in London and found that it was near impossible. The Texas Department of Agriculture has been doing outreach to out-of-state journalists, and it's paying off. Lana Borlot, who has participated in a number of media events with Texas wineries lately, has a new article on Forbes.com. Her article is White Wines You'll Fall For, 
and it includes both the Dukeman Viognier and the Wedding Oak Roussan. Lana says that she's not really a fan of Viognier, but that she likes the Viogniers coming out of Texas for their tamped-down styles. It shows markers of Condru without the floral and peach aromatics and the glycerol palette that she finds too heavy and difficult to pair with food. She says the Dukeman version does have the familiar peach and honey notes, but in a less knock-you-over-the-head kind of way, with bright acids saving the day. About the Wedding Oak Roussan, she says that Rhone varieties are among the many stars of the Lone Star State, and this apple and white peach-inflected Roussan is one of them. She calls it full and fleshy, broad, and pushing the ripeness levels. This is a full-bodied and satisfying white for a chilly evening. The Texas wine industry lost a great man and Texas wine pioneer this past month. Dr. Pat Brennan passed away in early November from complications of ALS. A statement made by the winery gives a little more perspective on Dr. Brennan's life. After purchasing the historic McCrary House, an adjacent property in Comanche, Texas in 1997, Pat began studying viticulture and enology at Grayson College in Denison. With family friends, they planted a five-acre vineyard on the property in 2002. After a successful winemaking trial with the first harvest, they committed to establishing a commercial winery, specializing in fine wines made from Texas grapes. Their motto states, sophisticated wines with Texas roots. Over the next 19 years, Brennan Vineyards would become one of the most highly respected wineries in Texas, receiving numerous awards and recognition. Among the Among the most significant were awards for Top Texas Wine in the 2008 Houston Rodeo International Wine Competition and two double golds at the prestigious San Francisco International Wine Competition. They were the first Texas winery using Texas-grown grapes to win two double golds in the same year. In 2020, Pat's winemaking career and Brennan Vineyard's success was recognized by his peers in the Texas Wine and Grape Growing Association when he received the 2020 Louis F. Qualia Pioneering Spirit Award. Pat was admired by so many for his belief in the Texas wine industry, his mentorship, kindness, sense of humor, professionalism, and his dedication to his family. He survived by his wife, Trelise, two children, and four grandchildren. In lieu of flowers, Pat and the family request contributions to the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association, the ALS Association, or the Paralyzed Veterans of America. And that's the Texas Wine News. My newsletter subscribers get to hear the -the behind-the-scenes stories of putting out a Texas wine podcast and also get some fun freebies, which in the past have included a Texas wine quiz and most recently a Texas wine crossword puzzle. Here's one of the clues, North Texas winery that's named for a flightless bird. The answer, of course, is blue ostrich. The newsletter includes my latest wine experiences and some of my favorite wines that I don't have time to talk about on the show. To get in on the fun, please sign up for the podcast newsletter on the website at thisistexaswine.com. Then click newsletter sign up. My guest today, Patrick Whitehead, is the managing partner and winemaker at Blue Ostrich Winery in St. Joe. That's about 80 miles north of Dallas-Fort Worth. Patrick is also the past president of the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association, 
and was named a 2020 Wine Industry Leader by Wine Business Monthly for his leadership in the industry during the COVID-related shutdowns. I knew Patrick had started his career as a radio DJ, so I couldn't resist starting our interview by asking him about it. Well, I worked on the air from the time I was in high school till I was in my late 20s. I worked at a little AM country station, actually where I am sitting here today talking to you from Alamogordo, New Mexico, when I was in high school, and then uh, progressed to FM music. So I was a top 40 DJ in the 80s. So I was uh, cranking out Madonna and Michael Jackson and Wham for everybody back in the day. That's when I worked on the air. But I realized in my late 20s, I didn't want to be a DJ my entire life. I was having our first kid and thought I needed to grow up a bit. And I started working into the management side of radio. So I became a program director, music director, operations manager. I was always on the programming side. I was never, I didn't sell advertising. Uh, I was more in, you know, what came out of the speaker. So I managed talent. I hired talent. I oversaw promotions and marketing budgets, things like that. Music scheduling, worked with record labels on stuff, that kind of thing. When you were on air, did you have a radio name? Pat McMahon. Okay. Where'd McMahon come from? I, we had moved from the Southwest up to Columbus, Ohio. I was working for Nationwide Insurance. They owned a big radio station in Columbus. And the program director, he said, Whitehead, was, was that like Indian or something? I'm like, no, it's not that uncommon of a name. And he'd never heard of it. He wanted me to have something all-American sounding. This is in like 1986. Jim McMahon and the Chicago Bears had just won the Super Bowl. You're Pat McMahon. <laughs> okay. And so that's why I worked on the air. But then as I got... Off the air, people in the industry knew me as Pat McMahon, so it just kind of stuck. And you That's know, till, funny. Yeah. Well, I got That's out funny. of radio. So at some point, you got interested in wine long before you actually were involved with the wineries, and I know you were a home winemaker. Yeah, we made wine at home, and, uh, and we're, you know, I jokingly tell people at the winery when we do tours and stuff that Julie and I were semi-professional wine drinkers. We certainly enjoyed drinking wine. We enjoyed learning about wine. Uh, you know, we did some wine travel. So we were wine enthusiasts, but uh, didn't really know anything about the manufacturing side or anything very deep about the winemaking side. So when we started going down this path about 11 or 12 years ago, um, you know, we really had to immerse ourselves in that whole part of it. So I had the privilege of meeting your in-laws when I was out at Blue Ostrich on Saturday. Tell me about the operation that they had going there and how you've transitioned that into a winery and a state vineyard. Uh, my wife, Julie, her, her father is Stan Frederick, and he has been ranching in the Red River Valley of North Texas for over 50 years. And she was a little girl. Uh, they've been raising cattle up there and spending time. They also have a home in the city. He has uh, run several companies, but he's always had an affinity for grapes. And uh, at one point, the Frederick family was raising ostrich up there. This was in the, late 80s through the 90s when ostrich and emu were kind of a big deal in Texas. There were quite a few ostrich and emu ranches. We didn't deal with emus, only ostrich. And so they actually founded and ran what was one of the biggest ostrich breeding facilities uh, in North Texas. And uh, they ran that business successfully for many years, but for a lot of reasons, it was time to kind of wind that down about 2003. And they did, and they sold the ostrich business uh, but the buildings and a lot of the infrastructure uh, was remaining there. And Stan wanted to, he hadn't needed to use that land. It's like, we got to put cattle back over there. Should we put goats over there? What are we going to do? And uh, landed on growing grapes. 
So where our vineyard is now is where the ostrich used to run around. People always ask us kind of jokingly if uh, ostrich did a good job of fertilizing the soil there. I don't know the answer to that. Probably not. But um, so we kind of converted that big barn, which was the ostrich, you know, what, what is now our tasting room. There actually used to be incubators in there. So that's kind of our story. This blue ostrich sits on a piece of land that was once uh, pretty much the foremost ostrich breeding facility in North Texas. And later on, when we were actually harvesting the birds, taking them to market, uh, we were the meat purveyor for uh, Dean Faring when he was still at the mansion on Turtle Creek. Uh, we sold to Stephen Piles. We sold to Crescent Court. A lot of the high-end restaurants in Texas, Riata bought ostrich meat from us. So, But that's oh, part of our past. We do have ostrich there now. I think when you were at our place, you saw them. They are just mascots. We have a, a few birds that our guests can go out and interact with and take pictures of and that sort of thing. They were quite entertaining. One of them they was are. very animated. Yes. You're my first guest from North Texas. What makes the North Texas wine region unique? Um, that's a great question. I'll talk about our specific area uh, where Blue Ostrich is. We sit in the Red River Valley. We have two neighboring wineries very, very close. For our ranch is one of them. RK is the other. And so uh, the three of us, as close as we are, our three vineyards are all totally different in terms of just, just terroir, uh, soil type, um, the vegetation, everything. So there are all these little pockets around North Texas that are very different. If you move over to the uh, east of us, about 50 miles, you'll find Hidden Hangar, which is a big, about a 50-acre vineyard over near Denison. Their soil, their terroir is very different. Uh, so the Texoma AVA, which is what we're in, is um, it's multifaceted, which is interesting but also problematic because, you know, typically AVA should be somewhat reflective of, um, you know, what's going on there collectively. And that's not the case with us. Um, you can move just a few miles and find that terroir changes greatly in North Texas. You know, our places, we have a lot of red clay uh, with pockets of sandy loam, whereas you go to RK and it's, you know, that dark, rich uh, kind of earth. It's, it's very different from, where, from what we have. So, you know, and, you know, as you know, Shelley, and probably most folks that are listening to this, that, uh, you know, wine is about where it comes from. That's what, what sure. makes every, every bottle unique. I know in other parts of the state where they have some large AVAs with some different types of soil conditions or uh, other differences in how things grow, they're making an effort to do some sub-AVAs. Is that something you're looking at for Texoma? It is. Uh, our neighbor, Howard Davies over at RK, has really kind of led the charge on that. We are in Texoma, and if you look at any of the maps or the layouts of the Texoma AVA, it goes from where Blue Ostrich is, which is for the most part, due north of Fort Worth, uh, all the way over almost to the Texas-Arkansas border. And you think about how much change can happen uh, in that. And because uh, we, we've actually looked at trying to get it renamed Red River Valley and the TTB, um, you know, the Tax and Trade Bureau who regulate us on a federal level, looked at that and they said, well, you, that's too expansive. It's Red River Valley's all, it does run the entire length of the northern part of the state. So, they wouldn't let us change our name to that. We thought maybe maybe the name change isn't the thing. Maybe it's really kind of carving out this little piece for North Texas where we are because uh, you've been to our valley. It's it, it looks like hill country where we are, just north of Dallas. Most people are shocked when they get up there and see it. But where we are looks very different than Sherman-Denison or even you know those counties east of Sherman-Denison. So 
we really would like to, uh, you know, perhaps uh, pursue getting our, our own ABA or a sub ABA of Texoma. We'll, we'll see how that works out. It's kind of a slow process. Yeah, I know it takes a while to gather all the data that they're looking for and get everyone on the same page. So tell me more about Blue Ostrich in terms of you're the winemaker. So um, what are you looking to make? What are your some of your favorite wines that you put out? Uh, what's popular? And where, where do you get your grapes? I know you have a, an estate vineyard, but you also bring in grapes from other places. Yes, we have eight acres at our place, uh, of which about half of it sustained some pretty heavy damage during the the February deep freeze we had here. And our vineyard on a typical year provides um, anywhere from 15 to 25% of our needs. Everything else we source from outside Blue Ostrich. Most of that from far west Texas. Work with growers in the high plains. And we also have some other growers around the state. Uh, we've got a gentleman that we work with in Wise County, a little town called Boyd, Texas, just uh, west of Fort Worth. And uh, we source uh, Sangiovese, Tanat, and Syrah from him. Uh, in terms of the wine styles, um, you know, it took us a couple of years to settle into what we're all about. Uh, we do both sweet and dry styles, which I think makes us a bit more unique than a lot of the hill country wineries, which you know either will do one or the other to a large degree. Uh, because we do have a lot of sweet drinkers in North Texas, and uh, so we you know want to have something for them. Uh, in terms of our dry styles. Uh, Tempranillo, I guess, would kind of be considered our flagship red. We have a lot of Tempranillo on our estate. And then our flagship white would probably be Viognier. We grow Viognier. Uh, we also, over the years, have sourced Viognier grapes from uh, Childress, Texas, from Adam Bishop. And currently, we work with Ty Wilmoth out uh, in West Texas in Terry County for a supplemental Viognier. If I could mention uh, our 2017 Viognier, which was a blend of blue ostrich and Childress County Grapes was double gold and best in class at the uh, 2018 San Francisco International Wine Competition. So to have our Viognier, or a Texas Viognier, uh, be selected as the judge's favorite over about probably 80 Viogniers that even medaled that year. Um, we thought we were, uh, we felt pretty good about that. Yeah. That's huge. So. And are those grapes that you've been considering your uh, signature grapes, Tempranillo and Viognier, since the start? Or have, has your interest in different grapes uh, changed over time? Um, Julie and I and Stan have had an interest in those two grapes since we started. We, we made that decision to plant Viognier and Tempranillo, uh, which, by the way, we planted in 2011 during the big heat wave, a year that we went 100 consecutive days, over 100 degrees. And we thought, oh, my gosh, what have we done? But one of the reasons we picked those two was their tolerance for hot weather, and they came through like a champ for us. So we have always uh, enjoyed and been fans of those two wine styles and hope to always be able to offer them to our guests. We do a lot of other things, but those are kind of our two front and centers in terms of our reds and white. I just took my first trip to Blue Ostrich on Saturday, and when I drove up, I thought, oh my goodness, because you had such an enormous crowd a uh, band, every table was taken. People were were loving their um, experience there. It's quite a large space under your new pavilion. It's a convertible building. It has glass garage doors all the way around. So if the weather's inclement, we can drop it and control the temperature inside and everybody can continue to enjoy the view and the environment. And on a beautiful day, uh, which you guys had a, you had a chamber of commerce weather kind of day, we open that up and everybody can feel like they're 
uh, you know, just enjoying the outdoors. So we expanded incrementally. Um, we're 10 years old now. And when we first opened, all we had was that main building, that big barn building that was part of the ostrich operation. And we've just tried to um, uh, continue to invest in our business and add as we could afford to and as we went along. So that facility was added in 2016 to allow us to have space for year-round uh, you know, entertaining. And then uh, we added our barrel barn in 2017. We covered the crush pad in 2016. So just added on uh, as we were able to do so. Well, I think I told you when we met that I felt like I – I had already known you because I watched a couple of different virtual tastings that you did during COVID, as well as seeing some videos that you did when you were the president of the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association <laughs> uh, during COVID. And you were the president for probably the most tumultuous year in recent memory for Texas wineries. Who have you could, recovered from that? Uh, and can you say a few words about that experience? Who could have imagined, man? There's just no, nobody saw that freight train coming. Uh, I was sworn in as president in February of twenty nine. Uh, excuse me, of twenty twenty. So just last year, and uh, and led the uh, the organization through March of twenty twenty one. So uh, together with Roxanne uh, Myers, who's our current president, but at the time was president elect, and Paul Bonarigo Jr., who was our past president at the time. The three of us were kind of your presidential triumvirate during the, the Twiga uh, leading Twiga during the shutdown. Uh, you know, when we all had to shut down, I mean, all businesses, restaurants, wineries, everybody, um, you know, we all had a sort of an understanding. We're all in this thing together. When Governor Abbott reopened restaurants and then came back and said, I'm shutting down bars, we thought, well, that doesn't pertain to us. We're, we're not a bar. And yet his interpretation was wineries were bars. And the frustrating part was throughout that summer, uh, anybody in the state of Texas could go to Hooters, and I'm not picking on Hooters, I'm just using it as an example, and have beer and wings, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, if you wanted. But it was illegal for you to go to a winery on a Sunday afternoon, sit at an outside picnic table and have wine and cheese. And we didn't understand uh, why we were being singled out and, and why our governor was picking winners and losers. And so it was uh, quite a fight uh, we had. Uh, we were uh, on a lot of Zoom meetings with people like uh, State Comptroller Glenn Hager, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, Ag Commissioner Sid Miller, all of whom supported the Texas wine industry and supported at least getting wineries, particularly ones in uh, rural and safe settings or outdoor settings, to reopen. And it just fell on deaf ears with the governor's task force. We did finally get that turned around in August uh, as a lot of wineries reopened under the heading of restaurants. So we had to kind of change our business models and game plans in order to get open, but it was a workaround. It was less than ideal, but it, it got a lot of us open again. Uh, it was a very difficult time. I know that changed some of your business practices too, such as requiring reservations, uh, things that probably are going to stick even well after the pandemic restrictions um, will, will be lifted. Well, we did go to a reservation model because at one point when we reopened, we had to manage our capacity and we had to uh, acknowledge social distancing, which we still you know, do a lot of that now. But reservations actually worked out well, to be honest. Um, you talked about when you pulled in and saw that big crowd at our place. There was a time you know, pre-COVID where we'd have twice that many cars in the parking lot. There were no reservations. Some people might have been guilty of staying a little longer than they should have. 
you know, or, or maybe you should at a, at a winery and there weren't enough places for people to sit. Now when our guests show up, they know they have a table waiting for them. And if it's a nice day, like when you were there, we have plenty of outdoor space that doesn't require a reservation. So we're going to stick with that. It actually has allowed us to be a little more uh, efficient with our staff and I think provide a better experience for our guests. And so we'll be staying with reservations. And I think a lot of other wineries in Texas will be doing the same. I like it. I know you've got a lot of day trippers that come in from Dallas and, and from Wichita Falls. And it is nice to know that that when you arrive, that you're expected and that there's a place for you. So I, I like the reservation Absolutely. system personally. And I should mention that you were uh, named in 2020 one of the wine industry leaders by Wine Business Monthly for your leadership in the Texas wine industry yeah. during those chaotic chaotic times. That, that was a nice honor. It was, we appreciated being uh, getting the recognition. I want to talk a little bit more about the North Texas scene. I know you went to Grayson College. Can you? I haven't even touched on Grayson College at all during any of these podcasts. Um, what can you say about that program and what it means to North Texas? It is a huge resource for our state. You know, Twiga supports uh, and the Twiga Foundation support a lot of the educational efforts in Texas, we work with uh, closely with AgriLife at A&M and uh, with the folks at uh, Texas Tech. But Grayson's unique. It is a community college. They have a two-year certification program for both wine, uh, enology, and for uh, viticulture, grape growing. And there's, I don't know of anything else like it in the United States. When I was uh, taking my classes there uh, about 11 years ago, uh, we had people coming in from Houston. We had people from Oklahoma. I think we had one person from Albuquerque because because uh, a lot of the classes are on weekends with online components. So for somebody who's doing this as a second career, it's ideal. Um, you know, Julie and I kind of started down this path when I was uh, about 48, 49 years old. Well, at that age, I'm not going to UC Davis to put in four years. You know, that's just not going to happen. One, I don't have the aptitude, but it's unrealistic. But to be able to go... And take hands-on, uh, have a hands-on academic experience, the winemaking with labs uh, and uh, knowledgeable instructors, and to be able to do it on a flexible schedule is incredible. Um, so, I, I, it's really it's a great program. How well did your home winemaking experience prepare you to be a winemaker at a big facility like Blue Ostrich? Not much. <laughs> Not much at all. The joke uh, again: we give tours. We have our little anecdotes that we tell. One of them is, you know, when you screw up five gallons at home, it goes down the sink. When you screw up uh, 500 gallons, it goes on your P&L and you might get a few questions from your banker. So you want to be really careful. Um, you know, in terms of just understanding processes like fermentation and racking and secondary fermentation and just getting a grasp of those concepts, it's great. Um, but the tools you use for home winemaking are very different from what you know you need to make wine on a commercial level. Is it hard for you to get the grapes that you want? Obviously, you're not in the high plains, but also a lot of grapes I know end up in the hill country. Is it harder in North Texas to get the grapes you want? Um, not not so much. I think it's like a lot of other businesses. It comes down to relationships. That's the hardest part. You know, when Julie and I went to our first Twigger conference, we hadn't even we I don't even think we'd had our permit at that point. So you're walking around talking to people saying, "Yeah, we're." We're starting a winery. Well, I have to tell you, not to be cynical, how many times I've had somebody say, yeah, my wife and I are going to start a winery. Me and my kids are going to start a winery. Uh, you know, the follow through on that, it's a pretty low ratio. So you're walking around talking to people and they're like, yeah, well, come back and talk to me 
when you have a winery. But uh, again, getting involved in the organizations, meeting people, forging relationships, a lot of networking. You can generally find what you want. Uh, you know, we have weather challenges. This year, we only got two tons of Syrah from our grower through no fault of his own. So I'm sure, you know, I wish I had six or seven tons of Syrah. So in that regard, yeah, some years you can't get everything you want. But if you're looking for something, uh, get out there and start talking to people, forging relationships. I think it's harder for small wineries that are looking for one and two tons. It's harder for some of the growers to carve out those small um, uh, amounts versus making a commitment for an acre or making a commitment for two acres where they know that so, you know, that piece of the land is, uh, is, is accounted for. Somebody's going to take all that fruit. And that's how a lot more of the deal, a lot more of the deals are being done these days. Okay. I also had the opportunity on Saturday to meet your daughter, Presley. And I know that she is your right-hand person, if you will. Can you talk about what she does at Blue Ostrich? She does a little bit of everything. Presley is a triple threat. She uh, oversees our vineyard, which is a huge job in and of itself. Um, she works with me on the winemaking processes and just the operations of the back of the house. And she works in the front of the house. Um, she's works with, with our guests. She spends a lot of time in the kitchen. Uh, that's one of her passions, uh, in high school and working her way through college. She was in the hospitality industry, worked at a lot of high end restaurants. And so she has a passion for the kitchen as well. So she spends a lot of time there. Um, she's knowledgeable. She, we sent her away. In 2015, uh, she went out to work at Cake Bread Cellars. A shout out to Randy Hester, who I know you've had on here before, who I think is an excellent winemaker. Uh, Randy opened a door for her to go out and spend time in Napa because Julie and I said, look, if you want to work in the family business, it is our opinion you need to go work for somebody else first and then come back and tell us this is what you want to do. It almost backfired. She went out and worked for Cake Bread. They offered her a job stay out there. We're like, no, that wasn't the plan. You have to, you have to come back home. And so she did, but that was a good experience for her uh, to see wine being done uh, on that uh, scale of quantity and quality. And so she brought back good things for us here too. Good knowledge. That's right. If you had to look into the crystal ball 20 years down the road, what do you think is coming for Texas wine? And are we ready? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. I will tell you one of the things that concerns me is I see the amount of money from California that's coming into our state. Uh, you see, you know, going into the housing industry, the housing sector, uh, how it's, uh, you know, changing um, our cities in Texas. But I also think from the agriculture and specifically from the wine and grape world, we could see the impact, the impact here. I don't know if we're uh, ready for that and if we understand what that could mean. I'm not sure I understand what it means. I mean, I see something's happening down in the hill country uh, with out-of-state money. Um, it, it kind of takes away some of the purity. Can you imagine, uh, I don't know, could you imagine Dr. Becker going and setting up a tasting room on Highway you know, 29 right down the middle of Napa Valley? I, I don't think that would sit too well with the folks there, you know, selling Texas wines. Uh, I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I'm saying it's unlikely. <laughs> But, you know, it's not that way here. I could see somebody coming in and they got the money, buying the property and setting it up and, and, and bringing in California fruit. And, um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, you know, I, I drink California wine sometimes, but I'm just not sure it's the best thing for the Texas wine and grape industry. So uh, we have to kind of probably uh, be wary of that, keep an eye on it. That's one thing. 
But I also think they, we've got a lot of great young people coming up. There's some really good, talented young winemakers uh, in all parts of the state. I see what um, Michael McClendon's doing out at Sages in East Texas. I think he's doing some exciting things, young guy, new ideas. Uh, some of the people down in the Hill Country. My son-in-law, Grayson Davies, who's married to Presley, is the winemaker at RK here in North Texas. He was the first graduate with the uh, Enological Program in Texas Tech. Uh, I think he's been out of school about eight years now. And he's, he's uh, in my opinion, the best Chardonnay maker uh, in the state of Texas. So we got a lot of young people coming up through the ranks, and I, that's exciting. We, need, we have to have – any industry has to have that. Replenish, you know. So, Are there enough young people going into – or old, any age of people uh, going into viticulture? Are there enough Texas grapes for what you perceive the demand to be in the future? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a tricky question. That's, that's something I do think about, um, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, we have some big growers out on the high plains – I think about Matt Adams, who's, the, I believe, the largest grower in the state of Texas. Matt passed away from COVID. Uh, is his family going to con- continue managing those vineyards? I, I, I don't know them personally. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, this is a hypothetical question. Are they, you know, are they dedicated to the Texas wine and grape industry? You know, some of the growers I work with are folks my age. I'm 61 years old. And I think, well, are their kids going to carry on? So I don't know. And there's also the challenges of uh, herbicide drift on the high plains that are, you know, we, we buy Merved from the uh, Gilmore brothers out east of Leveland, Texas. And I mean, good Lord, the, the hits that they get out there and they don't even have cotton planted around them. I don't even know where it's coming in from. It's just in the air. Um, and you know, the, the lawsuits underway right now between, I think it's about 50 or 60 high plains growers and Monsanto in regards to 2,4-D and Dicamba. We'll see how that turns out. I don't know. There's there's some peril out there. There's some things to be concerned about. And I don't know if there'll be enough grapes. What would people be surprised to know about blue ostrich? Um, hmm. That's a good question. Not one I was prepared to answer. To be surprised. Well, I'll tell you something that first time visitors are always blown away just at our, at our vistas. Uh, you know, the wine at any winery has to be good. It has to be drinkable and, and uh, something that most of your clientele are going to enjoy drinking and purchasing. But aside from that, what's that extra? Or as the Cajuns say, what's that land yap you're going to give us that you know we, we didn't expect? And I think uh, for us, it's allowing people, particularly um, urban dwellers, to get off of the tollway and get onto a two-lane blacktop road and just relax in the country for a few hours because you are on a working cattle ranch and uh, – it's a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. It absolutely is. It's it's really beautiful out there. And I'm already thinking of when my second trip out can be. Yeah. Um, I, I dug up an old podcast that you did with Jeff Cope. You and Julie both were on the podcast yeah. uh, talking about how things were at Blue Ostrich five years ago. And one yeah. of the things that I, um, I guess I was surprised by just because I had no basis for, for knowledge of how large wine clubs usually are, but you had at the time, at least a very large wine club. Um, tell me about some of the things you do with your wine club and events that happen out at Blue Ostrich. Yeah, wine club is uh, it's real important to us. When we first started down the path of growing grapes and deciding to open a winery, you know, we didn't we weren't really sure what our um, road to distribution would be. We were thinking of the traditional, you know, broad market, being in retail, that sort of thing with the tasting room, and we quickly figured out. 
that wasn't the model we wanted at all. We really wanted to stay in that direct-to-consumer channel uh, as far and as deep as we could, and that's what we've done. Our wine club is over 1,800 members now. Uh, we uh, do wine club distributions or uh, allotments three times a year. Well, one of them is October. This is wine club month. And, you know, it's just building that uh, affinity with our guests. And, uh, you know, and we have a lot of people that purchase wine at the winery and carry it away too. And we are in some retail you know, in about a 60 mile circle around uh, our little town of St. Joe. You can find us at a lot of the mom and pop uh, liquor stores and some of the restaurants and grocery stores and what have you. But we experimented with going into the broad market several years ago. We actually had a deal with Albertsons and just realized the pricing model for the volume of wine that we produce, it just doesn't work. Uh, if you're going to be in the broad market, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about volume and a smaller margin and you know, space on a shelf and working with a distributor. And a lot of things that I don't understand and I don't really want our business to go down that path. It's just not what we want to do. We love the direct-to-consumer uh, path, and that's that's where we're going to stay. And how much do you produce? Just under 5,000 cases. Uh, for the last couple of years, we've bumped right up against 5,000 cases. Uh, Gene Estes over at uh, Lost Oak Winery told me one time, he's like, that's, he goes, if you want to get over 5,000 cases, that's a whole – you've got to really sit down and rethink your business plan. It's, it, and he's right. It's a number that getting over just in terms of – your uh, production capabilities, your storage capabilities, how much wine can you process, grapes can you process, all those things. So we're trying to figure out how much, how much bigger do we want to get. We, we probably haven't maxed out yet, but I don't. We don't aspire to be a ten or fifteen thousand case winery. We don't aspire to be in HEB. Love HEB. Love the support they give Texas wines, but that's just not the road that we're headed down. But we, but we do have more growth in front of us, for sure. Mm-hmm. Are there some things that you have coming up in the, this fall, new releases that you want to mention or um, events or anything of that nature? Well, we just released a 10th anniversary uh, special wine uh, commemorating our 10th anniversary. It's called Factum, which is Latin for achievement or accomplishment. And we think uh, making it 10 years and uh, still being happily married and enjoying some success is quite an accomplishment. Uh, you know, it's interesting working with your wife. I don't know if you're going to ask me those questions or not. <laughs> <laughs> but so that we're excited about that wine. It's 100% Texas. It's a blend of High Plains Cab, High Plains Zinfandel, and Tanat that was grown in Wise County. And it's in a beautiful package. It's a, it's a, The artwork is screened on in gold leaf. So we just wanted to do something really special for our 10th anniversary. So that wine is currently in release. Uh, we just released our Sangiovese. It's a 2020 we always release our Sangios fairly, fairly young in the style of a Chianti, you know, pretty much a very approachable, young, easy-to-drink wine. It's about our sixth vintage of Sangiovese. We love Sangio. Um, unfortunately, we did not have Sangio this year, so this 2020 will be the last one for a while. And then uh, just prior to the holidays, we'll be releasing our third vintage of our Six Hearts Bourbon Barrel Cab. I know Bourbon Barrel Cab is a pretty widespread these days. We've been doing it here in Texas for about uh, three years, our third vintage. Uh, what makes ours maybe a bit unique is we work with Texas bourbon makers, so our bourbon barrels are all coming from uh, Texas distilleries. And uh, so we'll be releasing that. That comes from the, it's called Six Hearts because it's the Hart family's vineyard out in Terry County, Texas, Kevin and Michelle Hart. And that's where we purchased those grapes. It's, it's an unbelievable piece of land. Jet Wilmoth actually manages the vineyard and they sweeten those grapes up every year. It's just incredible. It's little 
little piece out there in Terry County. Uh, it's an incredible Cabernet, so we're excited about that. Let's talk about events. We um, we do pop-up dinners. We started to call them pop-up dinners. We kind of evolved or morphed into the name date night dinners once a month. Um, where we are, we're nine miles from the town of St. Joe. There really aren't any restaurants real close to us. We have a Dairy Queen in St. Joe and a barbecue place, but um, in terms of you know some place that you might you know go with your your special person for a, a date night, so we do date nights, and it's usually it's a catered dinner. Sometimes we have entertainment. Sometimes we'll build it around sunset watching. You know, we have uh, one coming up here in November, and uh, we do that every month. I don't know if you're familiar with the Texas uh, music icon Michael Martin Murphy. Oh yeah, you know who Michael Martin Murphy yep. is? He did two nights at our place back in June. Uh, both shows sold out in about a day, uh, and it's kind of a big deal. Uh, that went very well. So we may want to do some more things, a little more high-profile things like that. We've done real wine tastings. Um, we uh, do winemaker dinners, um, things like that. On, in November, we have our – we call it our Front Yard uh, Holiday Bazaar. We've got several pop-up shops from, you know, mostly things that are geared towards women, uh, boutiques and home gift items, that sort of thing. So we do – it's a day of shopping out in our yard. So we, we try and uh, have fun things to do. We do live music in our pavilion most every Saturday. If it's a wine club month, it'll be Saturday and Sunday. You have some cute merchandise just on a regular basis. I got myself a drink Texas wine hat that I've already worn yeah. proudly. We uh, Our t-shirt that's most popular is the one that says, I like wine and maybe three people. And we sell a <laughs> lot of those. I have a shirt that I had uh, made that says introverted, but willing to discuss wine. There you go. Yeah. Similar vibe. <laughs> Where can people connect with Blue Ostrich? Well, uh, we're pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. Easy to find us there. and We'll keep you updated on things that we have going on or wine releases. And then our website, it's blueostrich.net. And uh, you can purchase online. We ship to 36 states. If you're a wine club member, we even offer those discounts online. So we, we ship quite a bit. During the pandemic, uh, during the shutdown, shipping was, uh, man, it was our savior just to keep keep sales going and kind of keep the doors open. So shipping is a privilege that, um, you know, we shouldn't take for granted. Everybody takes it for granted now because we live in a, you know, in an Amazon, eBay kind of world. But uh, Texas, you know, wasn't shipping wine until about 2007, 2008. Twigga was very involved in, uh, in seeing that through. And there are some folks in the uh, three-tier system of the alcohol industry that would like to see our, see our shipping privileges taken away. So we need to be vigilant about that. I don't know that consumers would stand for that today because they've become so used to receiving it that way. But there are some people that would just assume we not be able to ship. So we need to stand guard, uh, you know, protect our, our privileges, and uh, be ready to box that wine up and send it out. It's tough shipping wine in the summer. That's true. I was going to say, this is the time to do it. So fill your coffers yeah. now. Yeah, Julie's experimented a lot with uh, you know styrofoam shippers and ice pack shippers and things like that because – as we always tell our guests, you know, wine is far more a food product than, say, spirits, which aren't a food product at all. You could put a bottle of Jim Beam in the trunk of your car and drive around for a year, and it might even be better when you open it up. Not so with a bottle of wine. Right. you got to take care of it, and it's very sensitive to temperature and light. Well, have we seen the end of um, Patrick Whitehead as a Texas wine leader in a leadership position? I My term as past president is up in just a few months, and... Uh, you're going to have an excellent incoming president in Glenna Yates who has Spicewood Winery down in Spicewood, Texas. 
Roxanne Myers from Lostoke will stay on as past president. Uh, I would like to stay involved in the legislative committee. Uh, it's been interesting and enlightening to be part of the uh, part of that committee and see what goes on in Austin. Sometimes it's not it's eye opening, you know, see how how politics unfold. The past legislature was so active for Texas wine labeling. Is that something that you want to discuss? Yeah, I guess you know, for lack of a better term, you call it kind of a compromise. We're a group of folks, you know who they are in the Hill Country, who have been advocating for uh, any wine that's got it's appellated as Texas should be one hundred percent Texas. And there are a lot of us that just don't fall in line with that thinking, at least not for this time, not not where our state is at this time. Remember, NAS surveys show that at the most. Texas probably has about 6,000 producing acres of grapes. Monterey County, California alone has 45,000. So, I mean, we're really not talking about that much fruit, but I I don't want to get into all the details of that. So we did kind of arrive at a a compromise of if a bottle is appellated with a uh, AVA or a county or appellated with a a vineyard designation, that it should be 100% Texas fruit. Uh, the thought process there that, you know, it adds a little bit of extra value for those wineries or those wine growers that are growing grapes in those uh, AVAs. Um, so, you know, encouraging people to look for High Plains wines or Hill Country wines or Texoma wines, that sort of thing. I noticed that you have a couple that are uh, that are vineyard designates. But I didn't see Texoma on your any of your labels. Do you use that? You know, Shelly, we have a th- we talked about AVA earlier. Our family and our neighbors, we just we don't like the name Texoma for us. That may be fine for some. First of all, there's no Oma in it at all. Oma's on the other side of the Red River. Good We're point. just Tex. So we don't <laughs> like that. Uh, there's Lake Texoma, which is shared between the two states. And then you think about what Lake Texoma conjures up when you think, I don't think about wine, you know, I think about boats and coolers of beer. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that either, but that's just not what we're all about. So we are working on a separate uh, designation for our area. Uh, we have done it one time because there was a bottle of wine we wanted to label as a state. TTB requires that if you are um, appellating or labeling as, a, pardon me, as an estate wine, those grapes are grown there at the winery, you do have to appellate it with an ABA. And uh, so we did that one time. Oh, Otherwise, I didn't we'll, realize. We do, we do county. We do, if it's our grapes, we'll put Cook County. And we're Cook County. So our Tempranillo is Cook County. Our Viognier is Cook County. Yeah, the whole labeling thing is, uh, you know, it's it's sliced and diced a lot of different ways. You know, we've actually imported a couple of wines. We're going to be doing a wine that's uh, already bottled. We'll be releasing in, in uh, January that we actually imported from Italy because we there's some styles that um, I just feel we've not been able to make with Texas fruit, but I like those styles and I want them in my tasting room. We have a separate label when we do those wines. It is called Full Quill by Blue Ostrich, and those are for non-Texas wines because we do dabble okay. in some non-Texas wines. So this was a blend of Trebbiano, Malvasia Bianca, and Chardonnay that came from Italy. It was grown in a uh, basically a uh, organic vineyard. They use a different term there. It's more like biodynamic. Um, I can't remember it right now. My Italian's not that good. Uh, we had an importer bring it in. We bottled it at Blue Ostrich, and we did some cellar treatment of Blue Ostrich, but it was actually picked, vinified in Italy, and then imported to us. And we use a separate label when we do those kinds of wines. How interesting. Well, this is great, Patrick. I really appreciate you sharing so much about Blue Ostrich and what you've got going on up north. 
And I hope everybody will take a trip out and see it for themselves. Yeah, I hope so. Come see us. It's, it's a different scene than what we have down in the Hill Country. Those folks do wonderful things, but it's kind of a different vibe. And as you mentioned, we're kind of built for day trippers. I mean, there's certainly places. We have some wonderful Airbnbs and places you can stay. In fact, Blue Ostrich has a guest house. You can actually stay right across the street. Uh, but we serve people from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex that just want to get away for a day, you know, and and it's not a long trip at all. And there are very similar themes of great wine, great views, and great hospitality. So it's worth the time. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time, Patrick. And congratulations to Blue Ostrich Winery and Vineyard. They were just named recipient of this year's People's Choice Award at Lubbock and Corked. And Blue Ostrich was also in the news just recently in a story by meteorologist Samantha Davies of the NBC5 station in Dallas. Her story focused on climate change and severe weather. There's some great aerial footage of the vineyards at Blue Ostrich in the segment, and you can find the link to that story in the show notes. Stay tuned for Demerits and Gold Stars. Some say Granbury, Texas is going to be the next Fredericksburg. See for yourself by attending the Winter Wine Walk in Granbury. It's presented by the Cross Timbers Wine Trail and Go Texan and will be held on Friday, November 19th and Saturday, November 20th. I'll be out there Friday doing some wine judging at the first annual Granberry Texas Wine Competition. That's just for wineries in the Cross Timbers Wine Trail, but next year it may be open to more wineries. There will be symposium classes on Saturday, vendors for all your shopping needs, and nightly musical entertainment. Chuck Tordiglione of Bull Lion Ranch Winery and Cross Timbers Wine Trail is advertising this as a wine festival for cowboys and all Texas agricultural experience. Should be a blast. And if you do opt for a Fredericksburg getaway this fall, be sure to book your travel through Heavenly Hosts. Take a look at Cork and Cactus if you're looking for a smallish place. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath. And remember, a midweek visit will help you beat the crowds but still have a great time. They'll be decorating the market plots for Christmas and doing the official holiday parade on December 3rd. That's heavenlyhosts.com. So this week we have a gold star but no demerit. The gold star goes out to Uncork Texas Wines Program. That's a marketing program of the Texas Department of Agriculture. They're partnering with Summit Maps to offer a 3D map of Texas that shows all of Texas's growing areas, or AVAs, and this is going to be a great win for all Texas wine enthusiasts. The map identifies Texas's grape-growing regions and replicates their unique topography in a raised relief map. It makes a great gift, and it's available either unframed in a poster or mounted and fully framed as wall art. The small map is $72 and is 22 by 22, and there's a larger size as well. I just ordered mine, and I have a 3D map of Napa that I've used a number of times in educational classes to show the growing areas of Napa, and I am thrilled to have a Texas version, and I hope that every tasting room in the state has one that they can refer to as well. Way to go, Uncork Texas Wines. That's it for now. Thank you to all my new listeners who are discovering the podcast and making an effort to visit my website and buy me virtual Texas wine to help support the podcast. Podcasts are always free to listen to, but they're not free to produce. If you're inclined to support this podcast, you can do that by visiting thisistexaswine.com and clicking on the support the podcast tab. 
As you know, this podcast runs on Texas Wine. I also love hearing your feedback about the podcast. Email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com to tell me what you're drinking and what aspects of Texas wine you find most interesting. Thanks for listening to This is Texas Wine. And thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit txwinelover.com to help you plan your next winery visit. Join me in two weeks for my next episode. And thanks for listening to This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.